Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. Today I'm joined from Florida in the States with uh, Jason Cheney. G'day, mate. How are you? Hey, Anthony. I'm well. And yourself? Yeah, I'm great. Sunny Saturday morning here in Brisbane. What's what's the time like over there for you? It's uh, eight o'clock at night on a Friday. We uh, we've just played a game. We played Southern and uh, got the W. So pretty happy about that. And we just finished doing some film uh, scouting Miami tomorrow. So uh, you know I was able to speed that up so I could come up and talk to you. So I appreciate it. No worries, and I really appreciate the time too. You've got a busy schedule there in a D1 college, and making the time for the podcast it's really great. Like, and and you're actually one of the coaches I've re- really interested in talking with because uh, Aussie coach overseas, and we'll get into how that opportunity came about. But first question I wanted to ask you is like, where, where did your basketball career start, and how did you get involved? Where did it all begin? Like any other coach, I uh, loved the game when I was younger. And um, I probably, you know, I, I got to ask this the other day, actually, by one of the guys at, at Washington State. And um, I actually went and watched the Harlem Globetrotters play uh, on a Saturday afternoon at, at Boondle. And I just loved it. I, I loved the uh, entertainment. I loved what they did. And, you know, ran, got home from the Harlem Globetrotters. And I put two chairs at uh, – mum and dad had – quite a big um, suburban block and I was a big backyard and I put a chair at either end of the backyard and just pretended I was playing basketball and, and it went from there. I, you know, I, then I fell in love with the Brisbane Bullets and Leroy Loggins and, um, you know, Andre Moore and, the, and Brian Curl and every single part of my wall at home was posted with or plastered with posters of the Brisbane Bullets and from there I just, you know, just kept going and, and have always throughout the years of working and studying and doing everything else have always been involved in some capacity. Yeah, and you were... Um you played a bit when you were younger as well, by the sounds of it? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I played right through juniors. Um, and then, you know, when I went to Brisbane Grammar School, played for grammar. And then from there on in, you know, I got, as part of my uh, my career, I was in the liquor industry and have been for many years. And I got moved around. And when we got when I got transferred to Bundaberg, I went and played a little bit of ABA up in Bundaberg. And so I was never, look, Anthony, you know, I could probably tell you an amazing story about how good I was and I hurt myself. <laughs> couldn't go to the NBA, but that would be a complete lie. So <laughs> the truth being, you know, I just loved the game. I was uh, always pride. I had probably more uh, pride, prided myself on, on the defensive end. Wasn't much of an offensive juggernaut, but have obviously done a little bit more with my coaching than my playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, like in those early days, were there any people that you were either coached by or, or just around that, that – made you start thinking well these are you know great influences and maybe um you know great mentors in terms of where i want to go as a coach yeah but in my early days my uh, at brisbane grammar school i had a coach by the name of jim noble who's actually a music teacher at school uh jim noble's an american who moved out to australia many years ago and he actually went to the university of oregon over here um and uh he just his passion for the sport and his love for the sport um, just, you know, I, I used to love, I'd go, and I played the saxophone at Brisbane Grammar School as well. So oh, when nice. I would 
I would sit in his office and we'd talk hoops and we'd talk college sport and we'd talk NBA and he loved Larry Bird and I loved Magic Johnson and you know we'd comp- we'd just always be conversing about it and to this day he's still a very close friend of mine and before I came over to Australia we had him and his wife Kathy over for dinner and you know, I sort of had that moment of realization that a dream of mine to go over and and coaching the college was coming to fruition and you know so he was the first person I sort of rang and got him over but he would have to be the very first mentor and the guy that and not just as a coach but just as a guy yeah. um, very down to earth very genuine very humble hard-working uh, family man who was you know just gave the time of day to everyone so he would be probably my very first mentor as a as just a, as a man in my life and also uh, in, as a basketball coach. Oh, nice. And do you still, like you said, you still keep in touch with him, obviously. And I guess everyone likes to check in, you know, from time to time and see how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's funny because over a, over a few years, we probably didn't talk to each other much. But you know, the older you get, I suppose you start to realise that you you know you got to make the effort to to talk to people and keep in touch with people. So um, you know, I did, and you know, the last five or six years, we've caught up a, once or twice a year for dinner, and you know, we'll either email or, or message each other just to talk or pick up the phone and have a chat. But um, it's funny. Every we played in a preseason game against Oregon going to close scrimmage um so i actually went with him and brisbane grammar to uh to the university of oregon to a camp for a week so i brought back a hell of a lot of memories from those days and was able to pick up the phone and say uh mr noble jim it's it's jace and you know well i'm back at u of o and you know this is awesome so yeah like i said you know a little dream of mine that's come to fruition over the years and to share it with him who's sort of been there the longest was pretty cool as well yeah nice and and just looking at your Australian coaching background, obviously, you know, like a lot of experience in the, in the QBL uh, in Queensland and also, you know, as a Queensland Academy sport coach and, uh, and then as a uh, state league coach and then also, you know, as a, at the WNBL level as a head coach and assistant coach with um, head coach at Logan Thunder and, and then assistant coach with Adelaide Lightning. When you, when you sort of think about that experience now and where you are now today uh, over there at college, how important was that experience in, in terms of shaping where you're at now? Oh, it pivotal. Like, I think, um, you know, I think any experience is good experience. And the importance of just getting involved and being involved is so, so important. And, you know, I listened to your podcast with Dave Claxton the other day and Dave spoke about, and I love working with Dave and, you know, I, I hope Dave doesn't mind me saying, but Dave would be, I'm guessing 70 now, but, and we had him my last year at Southwest when I was coaching QBL, I got Dave in to do some zone work and some defensive work with the girls and his passion and his energy for the sport is still as is as good as it was in the early days as it is now. And, you know, I think that's, and he spoke about this as well is he just had a absolute thirst for knowledge and I didn't wait for someone to go, oh, look, you've been chosen to go and uh, work with the, the state teams. And I didn't – I just – I knocked on a door and I sort of always said, you know, can I come and watch? Can I come and listen? Can I, can I um, you know, can I pick up a basketball and throw it for you? I just wanted to be involved and I just had a thirst for knowledge and I just wanted to be better at what I did and continually – and I think that's, you know, as coaches or – being in sport of, of any nature, that's in your blood. You know, you want it. And we talk about it a lot at, in our 
collegiate system here about being competitive and learning how to compete. Um, and I think from a very early age, I just had that thirst for knowledge and just wanted to be better. And, you know, through the QBL and the state teams and, you know, um, I was lucky to Mark Robel back in the days I worked with Robes and, um, you know, it was just, I just got involved and just continued from there. When, when I did ask the question, someone said, look, would you like to be an assistant coach? And then at some stage someone said, you know, would you like to be the head coach? And always, you know, at times I was probably, especially in the WNBL, I was too young a coach and too, um, not immature, but probably not um, experienced enough in the WNBL level. But you know, I put my hand up and had a go at it and, and you learn from the good and you learn from the bad. Mm. Yeah, and experience is often the, the greatest teacher you can have. So um, having, having been there and done that during that time too, you would have developed a lot of good relationships with, with players and, and you know, seeing those players go on to bigger and better things as well. Absolutely. And, and obviously, from a Queensland perspective, I love seeing, you know, Brisbane and Queensland girls go on and be successful at whatever they want to do. And, and predominantly, you know, when they go on and play in the WM especially um you know and having some and I'm, i haven't done um any junior high performance stuff in brisbane for a while but you know the Sarah grahams who are still running around on the court nowadays mm. um you know i was there as you know as one of her high performance coaches with the qis and then saw her play for logan and then you know she sits there you know when i play i was coaching in Adelaide last year and, and every time at the airport I ran into Sarah and we sit down and you know lifelong friends and um, extremely proud of the fact that I had something to do with her journey and getting there and and all the other players that are being involved from a Brisbane perspective and a Queensland perspective and going on to bigger and better things so and nowadays that's probably for me you know, I still help Chris Lucas with the Adelaide Lightning a little bit. And, um, you know, we talk probably once a week still oh, nice. about what's happening with his team and, you know, what my thoughts are. I'm on his huddle with him. So I jump on there and go, mate, I, I don't know if you're doing this right or, you know, whatever it might be. So I still, still help out as much as I can, but I'm probably helping kids more to understand the how they get into college over here nowadays, I suppose. Yeah. In terms of, like, I guess that pathway into college... Is that something that, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy sometimes, I think, trying to understand eligibility and, and what's a good decision? Like, what sort of, yeah, what, what do you say to kids if they're sort of saying, look, I'm thinking about that, but I'm not really sure where to start? Yeah, I think that the first part of the conversation usually is just understanding what's involved because I've seen too many kids come over here and last five minutes and go home. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important. Like in, and it's it was a learning for me. Like I'm very lucky. I, I coach in a power five school. I, you know, when they said, you know, you, do you understand what a power five school is? I went, I wouldn't have the slightest idea. So understanding that all 363 division one schools are not the same was, hmm. you know, I think, for, you know, that's the first thing I say to players. Um, and then from there is understanding, you know, what is understand your coach, understand the geographical situation you're getting into. Um, and then from there, once you understand all of that, then you can start to make the next steps. And I think the other thing too for Australian kids coming over is, um, you know, there is, there's a lot of work. You're on the court a lot. You're, um, you know, we're 
you know, you don't have time to scratch your backside in the collegiate side of things. You know, once we go to 20 hours a week on court, plus film and plus playing and plus traveling and plus, 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 it becomes really, really busy. And you throw on top of that, you're on the other side of the world and you throw on top of that, you're a freshman and you're learning everything from a, um, from a collegiate and a, you're, you're studying side of things. It's, it's a, it, it's tough. And as my head coach often says, coach E, she goes, you know, it, once you get to being a sophomore, the light finally turns on. All right. uh, and it turns on in every facet of your life. So, um, you know, that's probably the first thing I say to the girls when I saw or, or parents or players when I'm talking to them is, you know, do your homework around what's involved, talk to people. And if the answer is still yes, I want to do it, then go to the next step. Yeah. Um, and then the next step's quite easy because I think there's a lot of people around the in Australia and also over here. And obviously with YouTube and all the technological side of things, it just makes it easier to get uh, to seen nowadays. Yeah. And, and do you think there's much or maybe too much emphasis on, you know, like the differences between Div 1, Div 2, Div 3 or, or just the junior college places to play as well? Yeah, I think so. Like I said, like I always thought that all the Division One colleges were pretty much the same, and until I got here, and you know, when you know our girls, we're a Nike school, so we're constantly getting everything from you know the amount of gear that we get is ridiculous. Our resources are great. We fly to you know we we fly everywhere. We don't bus everywhere. Um, you know, we stay in the Marriott every time we go away. I was in the Virgin Islands two weeks ago in Miami this week and we were recruiting and the list goes on. So mm. money's not a, an object for a power five school, but then, you know, so, you know, then there's a, probably the AIS kids will end up at power five schools. Yep. And then the next, next level down, you're talking, you know, um, uh, you know, we, then we, then, uh, good mid-majors, you know, I'd hope to think most Australians can get in there. Yeah. But then from there it drops off considerably and it drops off considerably in all the resources that you get given and the weights room and, you know, your dorms and all those sorts of things. And I think what we misunderstand at home is going, oh, it's a Division One school, it must be great. And don't, you know, it, it might be or it might not be, but it's not what we see in terms of what you see on, like none of those schools are on TV. Mm. Um, so there are, and then uh, to your point, there are so many kids who could go to a great JUCO and, and then go and make the decision around, you know, oh, I had a cracking year. I might get picked up by one of the biggest schools or it might be a great mid-major as well. Yeah. So I think there is too much emphasis for us at Acoma going, oh, it's Division One, but there's a lot, there's, you know, out of 363 power, um, uh, Division One schools, you know, there's probably only 50 or 60 that are great. And yep. then there's a lot of programs from there. You just start you start sort of asking questions around, is it a good mid-major or is it a bad mid-major? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're in the middle of the season now? Just, yeah, we're, yeah. Um, we're about – tomorrow is our last game for non-conference. Oh, okay. So we start our conference um, uh, in, in the new year. Oh, okay. Yep. So um, when you're in the middle of the season, I suppose, like you are, like what's a typical day look like for you, like as in your role? Um, so at the moment, like there's probably like, I, I try and it's funny. I said to my dad, my dad asked me this all the time. Like, you know, what do you, and he doesn't understand basketball <laughs> at all, but he, um, you know, there's probably three things that we do. One is we recruit, 
Um, so, and we recruit heavily in Australia and New Zealand and, you know, that's yeah. a sort of, you end up finding your niche in terms of, uh, recruitment and we have a lot of Europeans, uh, not that we, that's sort of a byproduct of the former staff. Yeah. Um, but we do do a lot of recruitment stuff. And as my coach says, that never stops. So it's big on our list around, you know, we go and watch like, uh, last week, for example, I was in Seattle. Um, week before I was recruiting week before that I was in Los Angeles and San Diego two weeks before that I was in San Francisco so we're trying hard to recruit in America and that takes up a lot of time and a lot of travel uh, and a lot of time on the phone to uh, coaches and star uh, players yeah um, so recruitment's a big part of what we do um, scouting is a huge part so as I mentioned to you before uh, I had the scout for Miami, so we divvy it up between the four coaches on staff. So we each get, you know, five or six games each to do and Miami. So I'll work on that really heavily to make sure that we understand, you know, through and through. And we're very fortunate because we've got the resources to be able to get all the greatest scouting equipment and, and um, you know, at a touch of a button, I can go and look at Miami's stuff for the last seven years if I wanted to and what all their offenses are. And I can break it down and go, look, number 32, I just want to watch her back to the basket move so I can do that and we'll do yeah. it relatively quickly so the, the scouting equipment is great but it also still takes a hell of a lot of time and you know if you lose then you put even more emphasis on your scouting next time yeah um and then the third part is obviously preparing our team so um and that's you know, like i mentioned to you before like for six months i think uh, in six months uh, I'll get four days off. So we're on the court a lot. And if we're not on the court, we're, we're recruiting. And if we're not recruiting, we're traveling and it's pretty full on, but it fills in the days. That's for sure. And they're often long days. I will try, we'll practice at six o'clock in the morning often. So I get there at sort of five thirty, and you don't get home till five thirty at night. So they're big days. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about some of the scouting tools that you use, like are they things that are available here in Australia or that probably, yeah. Well, they are, but they're exorbitantly expensive. So, yeah. you know, Synergy is an example. So Synergy would be available but it, uh, in Australia, but it wouldn't be much use to us, I suppose. Yeah. But Synergy is the tool that uh, it, um, it effectively is a database of all teams and players yeah. um, that I can just go in there and, like I said, I can go to... Uh, like and V Dog will ask me often, you know, Jace, can you have a look at this player from the state? So I can go in there and put, you know, Melissa... Williams or whatever, and uh, I'll pull out all her her the her, her film for as long as she was in college. Right. So absolutely awesome. Um, we've got we use uh, and angles is something we use into in, instead of um, or angles is something that we just put everything into and we can cut film. All right, and then. Um, we've just got Just Play, which is the new version of sort of uh, Sports Code as well. Oh, right. Okay. And, and how do you use, like practically, you know, when it comes to a game, like how do you use stats and uh, what, what sort of things does your college do in terms of, I guess, preparation for games, but also like in-game too in terms of stats? Yeah, so Just Play is a really awesome uh, tool that enables us to, like, instead of us pulling stats out for every player and every team and all that sort of stuff, um, Just Play is up uh, is updated as soon as you open the web, effectively, or on Just Play. So yeah. I'll jump in there and do Miami, for example, to use that as, a, you know, because we're playing them tomorrow. But yeah. I'll jump in there to do Scout, and uh, it'll 
it'll all the players' statistics are uploaded straight away or updated, right. I should say. So the girls have got visibility of that over any time. Yeah. Um, now, like part of me is like, you know, with we're only very young in our program, so too much information for them at the moment probably isn't good. But at the same time, how do we use that in um, – so as coaches, we get all across that. We're like, you know, we know – she shoots a three ball at 38%, you know, half her shots for three balls, you know, let's make sure that we're in a shot pocket and we can't let her, you know, get into rhythm and shoot the ball easily. Now, what does that mean to a player? Let's just realise she's a shooter. Yeah. Then in uh, in games, statistic-wise, what we do is I usually uh, – and it's really, you know, basic stuff, to be honest with you. I look – I watch a lot of our defensive stuff. So I stat how many kills we've got and what we call a hat trick. So if, uh, if they've got three stops and three scores in a row, we call that a hat trick and we have a goal for that. Oh, yeah. um, one of my other cohorts, she, uh, she stats a lot of our offensive possessions. Um, but the problem is, you know, there's four coaches and we don't, and this is the challenge with our co- head coaches, you don't want to just go bullet with a whole heap of information at every time out. So we try yeah. and manage that information as much as we can and make sure that it's used in the best uh, best way possible. Oh, yeah. And how do you disseminate, like, information? Like, say, for example, your game you've got uh, tomorrow with Miami. How do you disseminate information to the players? Is it sort of like iPads and that sort of thing or cutting up small bits of clips beforehand? Or is it just yeah. really just the pregame talk or is there a bit more to it than that? No, it depends a little bit on how long we've got to prepare. So obviously this one has been a little bit more challenging because it's less than 24 hours. But if it's normal, like once we get into conference play, we'll play on a Friday night and a Sunday. So we'll have plenty of time to prepare. But um, just play, they can get online. So they can get that on their computers. But we'll usually hand that out to them. And it's literally paper-based. Yeah. It has a rundown of their players. It has a rundown of their most run plays, their base out of bounds, their side out of bounds. Um, uh, tendencies offensively, what we need to do to stop them offensively, what we need to do defensively, what they do defensively. So pretty normal sort of scout equipment. And so that it's just the ease of going, the, the format is all done for you. That's, yeah. that's really easy. Now, yeah. so what we do is then we'll show, we'll usually show to them um, about half an hour worth of film on some highly high frequency sets that they run. Then we'll go and throughout the next couple of days, we'll work on defending that. And then we'll bring, we'll show them film again. And that film will often be then of their players, their base out of uh, base out of bounds, some defensive stuff they might, might do. And then a little bit more in depth in terms of the film. And then we sort of give them more information. So we build up information as we go throughout the week, usually. All right. How does that translate to the game then? Like you think the is like you said before, you don't want to overload them with information. But and the other thing I'm sort of interested in asking too is like it sort of the older players who I guess you know more experience in that game environment and uh, have a bit of a better idea of what to expect. Do they tend to absorb that information better and then use it better? Yeah, it's an interesting question because we have where our staff are only so our staff came in twelve months ago. Yeah, and um, what end up? So we're we're very new in our learning. We're very new in our teaching. We're very new in everything that we're doing. So everyone is still very much in that learning phase. 
Um, and so we have, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a senior or a freshman or a sophomore or a junior, they're all very similar in terms of their understanding, their ability to play or master it at pace in a game. Yeah. Now, what we've found, and one of the reasons we love Australians is, you know, Ula Matuga from Brisbane, Queensland plays for us, and she's an extremely intelligent young lady, high IQ player and a very good on-court leader who's very very vocal. So, you know, we try and, you know, and Ula's great. She's a sophomore. Um, but, you know, the more time she's on the floor, she can then be your on-court coach. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you ask me the same question in four years' time, I'd like to say our seniors are our coaches. We do nothing. Mm. And it's like any program and any sort of um, – any, any team, the longer you're with them, they, the more they understand and they become your on-court coaches. Unfortunately for us, though, at the moment, we're just so new in what we're doing um, that they're all still learning so much. So it's, we're not quite there. And our head coach talks about it a lot. You know, we'll get there, but we need, we, we need to learn how to compete and we need to learn how to compete at every level. And part of that is talking and understanding and bettering their IQ and their understanding of the game. So we've got a long way to go there. Yeah. Are you seeing like any particular themes in, in terms of style of play that maybe are getting drawn from Australia or Europe or somewhere else? Like in, what you're seeing in terms of not only what you guys are doing, but who you're playing against? Um, not really. Like it's interesting. I, I think from a collegiate point of view, it's still a lot of it's pick and roll, um, you know, and you watch the WNBA and it's a lot of pick and roll as well. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting when, it, when I go out and I recruit and watch the younger kids play, I get really frustrated. And this is where I think Australia is on the right path because what ends up happening with the younger kid, and this is not every program, but a good percentage of the younger programs over here are just running a whole heap of five out stuff. All right. So when they get to us and we're running, we're going, okay, we're going to run a pick and roll. They're like, how do I do this? And so we're, te- we're literally teaching how do you come off a pick and roll as a post? How do you come off as a guard? You know, how do you get the ball to the So we'll teach them how to pass in the pocket, you know, those sorts of things where Australians, mm. I think, are learning that, art a little bit earlier um, and a little bit more skilled than what we're seeing over here at that younger age. Now, the difference being, you know, there's millions of young girls playing over here and boys compared to how many there are at home. So it's just a numbers game, really. Mm. Um, But no, pick and roll is is very prominent in the collegiate side of things. Um, The 30-second shot clock changes stuff a lot. So it's a very, it's a lot slower style of game here um you know 10 seconds in the backcourt you don't see as many pressing teams because being able to get the ball over the court in 10 seconds is a lot easier than eight seconds um and you see because of some of the big athletes like um there is a lot of uh post presence in the collegiate system we're playing a girl tomorrow who's six foot five and will be a top eight WNBA draft pick this year um yeah so there's a lot of post presence as well yeah, and do you see a fair bit of zone defensively as well or, or match-up zone or anything like that? Look, yeah, we do and we don't. So um, the better teams tend to play man. Like we haven't, we, we played at the Virgin Islands a couple of weeks ago and we played three uh, top 10 teams in the country. We played Indiana, Baylor and South Carolina with Baylor last year's champions. South Carolina, a red-hot pick to, uh, to take it out this year in Indiana who are so extremely well-skilled and drilled. Um, none of them played zone at all. Oh, right. uh, and then, it, you know, when we played Oregon a couple of weeks ago, Oregon don't play zone at all. But in, you know, we played Southern out of 
Texas today and they zoned us up for a whole heap of time. Um, so, you know, it just depends on, I think, you know, the coach uh, depends on, you know, what sort of players you've got like anything. But, uh, you know, the, the top 25 teams, they're not zoning up much at all. Yeah. And, and when you're um, preparing and, and looking at teams that you're playing, do you have, I guess, a, as a playing group, some, some benchmarks that you're looking to achieve in terms of, you know, three-point shooting percentage or, you know, uh, post touches or things like that? Not so much, Anthony. We, um, we go through phases, I must admit. So we haven't – and those, like, and oh, probably remiss of me not to talk about our head coach yet. The head coach I'm working with is one of the best coaches in the world. She really is. So she has, um, Cammy Etheridge is her name. She's, she's won everything at every level from a player to a coach. You know, she was an NCAA champion. She got, went 34 and 0, the first team to do so. She just got her Jersey retired, um, as a player. Um, she was a NCAA champion. She was a player of the year. Um, she went on to play for America and win a gold medal and a world champion. Bishop and Olympics and then as a coach she's done you know she's been in the American system with the American Olympic team she's a, a big sky tournament coach of the year a conference champion like her resume and a list of things that she's done is absolutely amazing mm-hmm. so I, she does a lot at the moment she's and she talks about increasing and bettering the IQ of the players so we're so busy just sort of trying to make sure that we uh, we continue to learn we've probably forgotten to go and put some stuff on a board and go this is what we want to achieve yep. now in saying that a couple of weeks ago against um some of the better teams you know we sort of pooped ourselves when they came out and they were so big strong long and athletic Athletic, that we sort of went back to the drawing board and went, actually, we need to be better with regards to, you know, the way we set goals. So we haven't got any specific goals around shooting at this stage, but we try and get what we call six kills. Uh, and a kill being three stops in a row, we try and get six plus a game yeah. um, on, on the defensive end. Uh, we start a little bit and we have some goals around uh, offensive glass. Uh, so we've started to do that a little bit more. And just because I think we realised that, you know, we needed to put some visuals up so the girls could go, right, at halftime we're only halfway there. Yeah. Uh, and we're behind the eight ball with regards to stops and O boards, et cetera, et cetera. But it's probably an area where we haven't been real good, I must admit. All right. And how do you see the uh, leadership within the team? Like, uh, is, is that a dynamic that uh, when I was talking to Sandy Brondell the other day, we were, we were just saying, you know, like uh, she was saying, you know, I think maybe some players have just got it and others, uh, they can learn it a little bit. But uh, how do you sort of see that in the, in the players you're coaching? Yeah. I agree with Sandy. Like over the years, it's a little bit like communication. You know, I think some players are just naturally great communicators and others don't know how to run and, and slide their feet and, 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 and talk at the same time. And I think it's a little bit like that with leadership. You know, as I spoke about Ula Matuga before. Ula, a, she's, a, she's a very young uh, leader and she's, a, she's an exceptionally good leader. Um, you know, but she's, she's young and she's learning. But I think also at the, on the flip side of that, you've got to recognise that we're working with young ladies who are between the ages of 18 and 22, 23, depending on how long they go through their collegiate. And I think more so, you know, I think, you know, from coaching women a lot over the last few years, a big part of it is to your point that it, or Sandy's point, you don't, it's not natural a lot to young 
people, not just females, young people. So it's part of our um, our job as coaches with these young females to start to teach them leadership. Um, now, because we're so young in our in our our journey with this group uh we're nowhere near where we need to be and but if in a few years time i'd be saying look we've got girls who have come through our program now who are seniors who get it you know because the girls before them were teaching them and we were teaching them we've got a young lady by the name of crystal ledger walker who's a new zealand girl who's a red shirt this year she transferred over from northern colorado and she's another one who's an exceptionally great leader and has the guts to say to players do your job, you know, get it done with absolutely no emotion. Um, but we're not there. We need crystals and the Oolers continue to do what they do and the freshmen that are coming through to understand what they need to do and we need to teach them and we need to continually make sure that they're, they're put in situations where it's safe to fail and it's safe to be able to say things and, and um, you know, without fear of hurting your feelings or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, we just need to teach them and they need to learn and that'll take time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, in terms of your own, you know, ongoing development and experience, I, I noticed you um, done a bit of time helping out at the Phoenix Mercury WNBA training camps. How was that experience? And what, what did you learn from that, you know, being around players at that next level? Yeah, it was awesome. Like, you know, once again, a sort of a dream come true, you know, pinch me moment because I've coached women for so many years and been around, you know, the, you know, different programs. But, you know, when you first stand in front of Diana Taurasi and uh, and you have to take a drill, it's sort of, you know, that, that was a moment in life where I wish I had it again because I sort of got a little nervous at that stage. But, you know, it, it was so awesome. And, um, you know, I did four or five years with Sandy and very fortunate that Sandy allowed me to do some stuff on the court with them. And my first year I sort of just watched and learnt and listened and wrote everything down and filmed everything. And my second year I did, you know, I think I just passed the ball around and, my third year, I helped with the posts. And my fourth year, I think I got on the floor and did post work and some teamwork stuff. But, you know, so awesome experience, awesome learning opportunity. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I often tell this story. And you know, uh, one of the athletic trainers said, can you take warm-ups? So I sort of wasn't really ready or prepared mentally or, um, you know, didn't. And I've taken warm-up a thousand times, so it should be easy. But, you know, so Diana Trossi had just got a heap of girls had just come back from Russia. So the whole team was full. We had Diana Trossi, Candice Dupree, Dewana Bonner, uh, Penny Taylor. Um, I don't know, there's probably three or girls who are sort of, you know, the top players in the world. And this athletic trainer said, Jace, can you take, uh, warm up and uh, I sort of just just froze and I was like um, dribble with two balls and uh, and the girls all looked at me and they were very polite and did it and uh, you know to cut a long story short it was a bit of a mess and uh, Dana Tarossi came up to me and she, she calls me J-Man she goes J-Man you just do what you have to do and just put it and after that I was fine like but I was it was that moment when I was like oh my god what am I doing here I can't do this <laughs> it was literally warm up it really wasn't hard you could you know dribble the ball from one end to the other and get a ball and they wouldn't have cared <laughs> nice one of the things I was wondering about was in the um, men's college system, you know, you get a lot of uh, these players who were red hot for the NBA and they might just play that one year in college and then they're out. But it, do you see that a bit in the women's system as well? No, not at all. Um, you know, and, and I and I suppose 
And, and it's interesting because it leads on to another conversation or debate around, you know, this thing about should collegiate players be getting paid and all this sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, and my, so I'll, you know, very quickly, my, my view, like after seeing what they receive from, a, from everything at a power five school and the things that they get and, you know, they're so lucky and they're so spoiled and the resources are brilliant. And, you know, we, like I said, they're, they're very lucky. Now out of those, you know, all the players that, um, you know, what is it, what did I say, 363 schools with all the players who go through those schools, something like only 2 or 3% of them will go on and play professionally. Mm. So um, there's a very, very, and there's only, what is that, 12 WNBA teams. Yeah. So it's very hard to get into the W. It's very hard to get into Europe. Um, so you end up, you know, you could probably go and play in somewhere like the QBL or whatever, but you know, that's not, a, you're not going to make a lot of money over a long period of time. So to answer your question, no, a lot of girls, they get through and their primary reason for being is to get their, co- their college degree. Um, they get it and a good portion of them, unfortunately, usually just quit the game afterwards. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you always uh, had that focus on, on coaching in the women's game as opposed to coaching men? Yeah, so when I was younger, I coached both a lot when I was studying and working when I was a young bloke and I had yeah. no preference. I just enjoyed coaching. I didn't give two hoots whether or not it was girls or guys and, you know, in their own special way, they're different on the floor. So quite enjoyed the challenge of doing both. Um, it wasn't until I worked for a company called Diageo, a, a big spirits company that owned Bundaberg Rum and I got transferred up to Bundaberg itself and I walked into the basketball stadium and you know like everyone in the basketball family we all go you know that's you know as soon as you walk into a basketball stadium it's sort of like home and I did that when I got transferred up there by myself before my wife turned up and um, I remember walking into the stadium and I said look I'm from Brisbane and you know I, I coach a little bit and I play a little bit and they went oh can you coach our division one boys team and I went, well, you don't even know if I can coach. And they went, oh, no, no, you'll be okay. So I ended up coaching the Division One boys up there and we did okay. You know, we're, we're, I thought, you know, we did relatively well. Uh, and then Kieran Murphy said to me, the ABA team was, or QBL was going and he said, oh, look, we don't have a coach. Can you do it? And I said, oh, I've never coached this level. Like, I can't do this. And he said, no, mate, you'll be right. And Keg, uh, if, if for those people who know him, he's a bit of a salesman. And he was able to talk me into taking on the head coach's role, Bundy. And I ended up staying up in Bundaberg for uh, four years or something. And I think every year we made the finals and um, we were relatively successful. So when I got transferred back to Brisbane with Diageo, um, I, uh, I went down to Logan's WNBL training and he sort of said, um, you know, Richard um, Orlick at the time, he said, mate, I'd like you to be involved. And from there, it's just sort of been like I've always just stuck with the girls because I had that opportunity when I came back from Bundaberg and we did okay in Bundy and and obviously did ABA teams when I was in Brisbane as well. So that's Mm. sort of how it came to fruition. I never sort of was never a coach who went, I want to coach in the women's side of things. Um, It just worked in with work and an opportunity arose in Bundy and we did okay. And from there, I've just stuck with it. Yeah, nice. What would be your advice nowadays? Uh, obviously, you're probably um, you're looking to say, you know, in that sort of college coaching role. But how, how, how do people get a foot in the door? Uh, like it's very competitive, and obviously, there's a lot of good coaches over there in the states. So, um, what would you recommend, you know, for a young Australian coach if they wanted to um, pursue that sort of pathway? Like, wh- where do you even start? And then, um, how do you, you know, just get connected? Um. 
It's a good question. And I think it's just like anything in life. Like, like I said earlier, get involved, you know, whether or not it's at uh, your local, like, and I think a great place to start is your cute local QBL team. Yeah. Um, and that might be just, like I said, you know, you might not even be coaching, but you might be just holding a basketball or wiping the floor or passing in drills. And all of a sudden from being in at your QBL team, you usually most QBL teams are going to have two imports. Yeah. So all of a sudden you get, you know, a couple of American people. Um, and, and I think because I, I, to be brutally honest, like it's a really hard uh, industry to crack over here. And, mm. and it is because there's so like you'll cut out. So pretty much like my head coach, when she flew me over last year to interview me, she said to me, she goes, you got to be, you understand, do understand that only the power five schools can afford to bring you over to the States. So you, you're then only in around about 60 odd schools that can afford you. And then from there, you know, you've got to be out this, all the visa stuff that, you know, team, and they waited 12 months for me to get a visa. So I was very lucky. Yeah. A lot of other schools would have gone, you know, bad luck where, you know, mm. it's too long. We need staff now. And, so I was in a very good situation. They're in a very lucky situation. Um, but I, I was, you know, the reason or I was able to connect with uh, Laurie Kane, who's our associate head coach. I uh, recruited her to play for me in Logan for two years. And then she went on to play for Guy Malloy in Melbourne for a year as well. So right. she knows the Australian system. She, she was a very good close friend of mine and she knew me as a coach. So when they, uh, when the opportunity came up at WSU and a niche market for them was Australia, they, uh, they sort of reached out to me and said, look, would you be interested in this? So I think I was a little bit lucky and to be brutally honest, the, the only advice I can give because the visa situation, that sort of stuff is, you know, be so involved in what you do and know people and have great networks and get to know people from Australia because I don't, I think it's too big a roll of the dice to, you know, just jump in, a, uh, in the plane and come over here and knock on doors. Cause I, I don't think, you know, you'd be good. And you've got to remember too, Mr. Trump, he's, he's very much about Americans and a lot of the, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, coaches over here that you know you got to you got to be in the circle and you got to be trusted by people to get a gig so that's why when a lot of new staff come into a place the old staff get the sack and they bring all their, new, their own staff with them yeah, yeah so getting in that circle is really hard so i yeah like an anthony i can't give you a really strong i couldn't write a textbook on it but i could <laughs> on how to do it but i can they, you know, make sure that we have great networks back home and you get to know people and you're friendly with, and I think at the end of the day, if we're good people and we work hard, good things happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And we talked about the uh, WNBA summer sort of coaching opportunities you had with Phoenix Mercury, but are there other, like, obviously, like you said, you just flat out during the season, but do you get much other opportunities for coach development yourself just in clinics and things like that? No, not really, to be honest with you. Like in our off season, you know, we, we recruit a lot. Um, so we're often, often going away. Now, Coach E has, Coach Etheridge has got a, uh, she's got a budget for us to be able to go and do some stuff if we want to. Last year, I went back to Phoenix and I spent some time with Sandy in Phoenix and uh, was able to do that again. And so that was great. And, you know, part of me was like, A, I enjoy it. B, I know the people and C, they're great friends of mine as well. So that opportunity but so we do have a budget um i'm probably a little bit new in terms of how and when we are able to do that but to be brutally honest like i like i mentioned earlier coach etheridge is an, an ex, 
an amazing coach and she's an amazing um, development coach. She's an amazing team coach. She's an amazing, um, she has an ability to build great culture and great programs. So every day I step on the floor, I'm learning a bucket load from Coach E and, you know, some days I just sort of pinch myself going, you know, if, if people would pay a lot of money just to stand next to Coach E and listen to her, and, and watch what she does yeah. uh, and I'm getting paid to do it so I'm very very lucky and our associate head coach Laurie Kane who I mentioned before who played in Australia she's a she's so much passion for this an amazing shooter of the ball and she's a great teacher as well and albeit she's younger than me I continually learn a lot off, off Laurie and she's one of these people that she gets up at four o'clock in the morning she goes and works out and she will her life is full of basketball from four o'clock in the morning until about nine o'clock at night. So she's a great resource as well. So at the moment in the journey I'm in, I'm very much just very lucky to be learning every day from the coaches who are around. Yeah. Nice. You know, with that sort of workload and, and the, the stuff you've got to do, like how do you balance the, the work life stuff? Um, you've got your family over there with you. So um, how do you make time to, to, to be across everything? Yeah, it's, it, it is a little challenging at the moment. It's probably because I'm a little new as well. Um, my son hates it because I'm traveling a hell of a lot every time, you know, he has something on and he goes, dad, can you watch me? And he's, he's been awesome. Like he's tried every American sport possible. And, you know, he, so he's like, dad, can you play ice hockey on the weekend? We're playing in Spokane or something. And I go, oh, sorry, little man, I got to, you know, I'm traveling away with the team or we got a game or whatever it might be. And, and he, oh, I hate your job, dad. So he's not real keen on it. I must admit. Yeah. But I'm really lucky with Coach Etheridge. She's a, she's a, you know, we we lived with the coach E and Laurie when we first arrived for four months or whatever it was. So they've become very good family friends of ours, and they know my kids and they know my wife very well. And we've moved only two houses away from Coach E. So she's extremely great with regards to. Um, you know, making sure that, you know, if we've been away all weekend, you know, we get out of the office at three o'clock in the afternoon and go spend some time. So I think that helps by having a boss who gets it um, and is wary of the fact that I have a family and wary of the fact that you've got to spend time and you've got to balance it out. So she's really good with that. Um, And she's like, my daughter's uh, got a little bit of illness at the moment and, and coach, has been wonderful. We've had to go to Seattle a little bit over there and she's, so I've missed a game or two games and uh, she's been fine with that. So look, it comes down to just having a great boss, I think is the bottom line. Yeah, and this is be your first winter over there in Washington yeah, State. Yeah. yeah, so I arrived the tail end of winter last year and I had one day of snow uh, when I first arrived and I thought that was pretty cool, but by the end of the day, I was a bit over the snow. But um, <laughs> we've had uh, probably five or six inches in the last couple of weeks. Oh, wow. um, and I must admit, even as an adult, Anthony, I'm loving it. It's a lot of fun, <laughs> like... My kids, and this is probably, you know, to answer your question before about balance as well is one of the things I try and do is when I'm at home, I'm at home. Yeah. Um, I don't, I try not to take much work home. I try not to sit on the computer all night long. Um, and when I'm at home with the kids, I give them my attention and I give them my time and my, you know, it, it's their time. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And, um, you know, so when the snow dropped and the kids go, my daughter's hilarious. She runs in, she dad, dad, there's snow. And we looked out the window and there's snow everywhere. So we're all in our winter gear and we're sliding up and down a hill near Coach E's house and, 
you know, we, we just make the most of it and have some fun out in the snow. And even as an adult at the moment, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I do hate walking in the snow though, because snow turns to ice pretty quickly and it becomes pretty slippery. All right. Yeah. And have you uh, yeah. taken up ice hockey yet? No, I, uh, my, my son, when he first started ice hockey, we watched him and then we tried to get our daughter involved and we took them to an ice hockey t- uh, rink and I had an open ice skate. So my wife and I jumped on the skates or on the ice as well. And we went around around the rink a few times, but um, I haven't quite taken up hockey, ice hockey yet, but I'm using <laughs> the excuse I just don't have time. Yeah. Uh, otherwise I would have. But it's such a cool sport. I really enjoy watching that. And, you know, watching my son, you know, he was like a baby elephant first learning how to walk. He'd get up and he'd, just, he'd literally just slip every time. And, and now he can hold his own and he's up and down the court or oh, rink or whatever you call it. So yeah. he's loving it. A lot of fun. Yeah, nice. It's a fast game. It's exciting to watch too. Like, uh, I love watching hockey. It's a cool game. It's, and physical. Man, it's physical. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, yeah. Jace, I just wanted to thank you again for making the time for a chat today. Like, uh, it's been great, really. Like, um, just getting those insights into into what it's like and and what you're up to. Wish you guys like all the the very best of success. So, wh- when you start your um, conference program, like, what's that look like? Uh, you know, after Christmas. Yeah, it's tough. We we start in the new year. Like uh, I get off, well, I fly back to Seattle tomorrow night. Um, we're spending. We've got five days off uh, as a as staff, and I think the girls get seven days off. Um, and then I think it's the second of January or something. We start uh, our conference play, and I don't know if you follow much with the women's side of things in the collegiate uh, in Division One over here, but we played last year. The Pac-12 had six of the sweet. 16 teams um, six teams in the Sweet 16 and uh, so we've got the hardest conference in the country so with Oregon, Oregon State Arizona, Arizona State um, you know Oregon are ranked number one in the country so it's a really tough schedule for us so as soon as we hit conference play it's full on it's um, you know it happens quickly we play twice a week and it's just yeah it's go 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 and it's going to be tough for us because as I said you know we're getting better we're we're at seven and four at the moment we've played some of the best teams in the country but we've still still got a lot of learning to do and we've got a lot of growing to do um so our schedule is is pretty pretty hard but we're up for it we're looking forward to it how many games in the in the conference um system uh there is 16 all right okay and then it all sort of culminates in the in the NCAA tournament in March, just same as correct. Yeah, yeah. So what happens is what we'll uh, we play in Las Vegas. It was the very first game I was able to coach in here. Is um, they'll have a conference championship, so we play in Las Vegas against all the other Pac-12 schools. Yeah. Um, and then depending on your overall ranking in your conference, and then your overall standing in that cha- in that um, that championship that tournament depends on whether or not you're able to go to the NCAA tournament. And we think at this stage, if we're able to sneak away with a hundred record, then we'll probably be able to go through the championship. Oh, nice. And that'll be a whole new experience again, won't it? Oh yeah. Big time. Like last year I I was able to watch this year, I should say last season, I was able to watch the NCAA final four for the women. And it was uh, played in, I can't remember where it was played. Um, 
wherever it was. And it was, you know, there was 25,000 people to the game watching it. It's just a great experience. And this year's Final Four, it was in Tampa, Florida, that's what it was. Right. This year it's in New Orleans or New Orleans, <laughs> as they say here. And um, once again, you know, just the the hoopla that goes with it uh, is just so awesome. And it's so great to watch. You know, I've been involved with the WNBL for many, many years and I've watched – Teams come and go and Logan go broke and sit in stadiums where last year with Adelaide, we'd have 400 people, 300 people come and watch this play. So to watch 25,000 people come and watch women's basketball and play it at the best and highest level, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's something, something unique. <laughs> oh, it is. And like my dad would love it if he was able to come over here because, and it's something, you know, Dave Claxon said this the other day too. I think it's a learning that we need to take to our pro leagues over home and especially with the women is basketball is almost secondary to all the entertainment that goes on outside of basketball. Like Mm. the, the, college band just gives it so much atmosphere and we have an amazing drum line at Washington State that you know we could have 200 people in the uh, in the stands but the atmosphere is so amazing with our cheerleaders and our drum line and our and our band and it's just go 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 so the NCAA is out on steroids at another level it's really cool <laughs> nice yeah well like I said all the, all the best for uh, after Christmas and uh, the game tomorrow as yeah. well no doubt you guys are going to be well prepared and you're going to be able to uh, get out there and get it done with a bit of luck yeah appreciate it and and anthony you know from a from a funny old coach from uh, brisbane i want to say thank you to yourself for uh for what you've done with your podcast i I thoroughly enjoy listening to it over here and like i said here on my message to you just going listening to the likes of dave claxton and you know uh, pat hunt and and uh, Brian Curl and the guys that you're getting on, it's so cool listening to them. And, you know, once again, you, every time I listen to coaches, it's great. And really appreciate you putting the time and effort into doing your podcast and keep it up. And I, you know, thanks for asking me along. As I said, I, you know, it, every now and then I do pinch myself that I've, I'm doing something absolutely wonderful over here and, and living out a dream. So to share it with you and to share it with some of your listeners is pretty cool too. So I appreciate what you do. Yeah, thanks, Chase. Yeah, I, I, for me, you know, like it's just a little bit about giving that recognition and respect to, to some of the really experienced and successful coaches that we've got in Australia, but also, you know, just the sharing in, information and insights and um, it, it's sort of interesting. The more I talk to people, the more I sort of realize that, you know, there's a lot of lines that cross over in terms of who people know and and who's uh, coached with who and and yeah it's 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 a sandy mentioned this the other day on on her interview it's it's a real community and um mm. and, and you know we all learn off each other so uh and, you know people come come with the with the point of sharing information and, and just speaking openly about what they've done it's great like i'm loving it it's cool and like i said i you know as a as a coach i really appreciate it and as a coach on the other side of the world i appreciate it even more so i i you know, good on you and keep up the great work. Thanks, Jace. And uh, all the best for Christmas, mate. And um, like I said, uh, have, a, have a great rest of the season and uh, maybe we'll catch up again um, in, in a few months' time and, and see how things, are, how things are tracking. I'd love to. That'd be cool. I appreciate it. All right, mate. Thanks again. And uh, all the best, Dave. 
Thanks, Anthony. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at OzBballCoach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening.